Welcome to Wallachia. Previously, Marley is missing. She had returned to her village with an injured leg after two years away at what everyone believes to have been an academy of dance in Transylvania. A few days ago, a woman in a white cloak, Margareta, appeared in the village. She had an audience with Count Dracula, telling him she was supposed to take Marley back with her. Dracula told her to leave the girl with him, but Margareta abducted Marley anyway. Chapter 10. Red Tower Pass. It doesn't have to happen that way, Margareta told her. How you said earlier, before we left. It doesn't have to. Marley wasn't interested in talking. They'd been traveling all night. For the first several hours, Margareta had left her alone in the cabin while she drove the coach. They had crossed the Argus right away and were on one of the forest roads in the mountains now, heading north. It was dark outside. There was nothing to see. She'd tried the door. The latch opened easily. There was no lock. Marley had imagined any number of scenarios where she'd found a way to slip off and hide. Maybe jump out of the door and roll down a hill. Get lucky. Margareta doesn't notice she's gone right away. A passing trader or woodsman finds her. Then what was always where she got stuck. Even if she simply overpowered Margareta, hit her with her cane, killed her possibly, the headmaster would just send someone new. Someone else in a white cloak would arrive in Kumpana. She had slept for a short while. Then the carriage had stopped and the door had opened. It was still dark out, but the sun would be up soon. Margareta had climbed inside and was sitting in the seat opposite Marley. She waved her hand and the horses started moving again on their own. They don't need you up on the perch, had been Marley's first question. They know the way, but don't pretend you didn't do animal manipulation in your first year. I'd wager you could have guided two horses in your sleep long before you came to Lake Hermannstadt. Marley rolled her eyes. Fine, you've made me curious. What doesn't have to happen that way? Death, Marley. Your punishment. Before we left your village, you said that you thought your punishment meant they were going to kill you. She leaned in a little closer, looking directly into Marley's eyes, and said, You ran away from the Scholomance. No student is allowed to leave for seven years, but you did. There will be a punishment for breaking that vow, but it doesn't have to be death. Marley stared out of the window. As the carriage moved slowly over the rough mountain road, she thought back to the first time she'd taken this ride years ago. She had never been farther west than the fort across the river that she and her friends had built as kids. They'd run over there after their chores were done and pretend to be pirates or knights, sorcerers sometimes. Then Mama had gotten sick. Not long after she was gone, Marley had discovered Father Abraham's private library. She'd read about angels and demons and vampires and magic. Potions and arcane remedies that Mama's doctors had known nothing about. Whenever she could, she snuck into his office and borrowed books. At first it was curiosity, then academic interest. But the more she read, the more she thought that sorcery might be a real art she could learn that if she'd known more, she might have been able to help Mama. Her early attempts came to nothing. She found incantations that were supposed to conjure fire, or make objects float, or make crops grow, but even when she thought she was following the instructions perfectly, she saw no effect. Undeterred, she picked a new spell from one of Abraham's books. It involved gathering candles and incense made of specific ingredients and had to be performed at night on days determined by a precise mathematical formula. Her own house wouldn't work. Her father and sisters were always there. It had to be somewhere that the incense wouldn't be noticed. The church was the obvious choice, but she didn't want to risk Father Abraham discovering her. Eventually, she'd settled on breaking into the school tower at night. She could leave the shutters open when she left, and the breeze would clear out the incense. She'd have to draw some figures on the ground, but children were often made to scrub the classroom floors so she knew where the bucket and rags were kept. Getting the keys to the tower wasn't hard. She knew where her teacher kept the spare set of keys. Marley had looked over the ingredients the spell asked for, which were different depending on what day of the week you were making the attempt. 
The versions that can be performed on Tuesday or Wednesday have material she could get her hands on easily, but the Wednesday version requires its herbs to be freshly picked, which she couldn't manage, so she settled on trying for a Tuesday. Then she had to decipher a chart describing which Tuesdays were best based on the moon phase and a half dozen other factors. On her first try, Tata had still been awake when she tried to sneak out of the bakery, so she'd had to cancel. Her next chance was three weeks later, but that morning her teacher had lost her keys, so the spare set wasn't available for Marley to take. Marley's third attempt succeeded. The object of the spell was to make contact with something she'd translated as a wind spirit and ask it for guidance. She'd drawn a circle on the ground with chalk and then, as described in Father Abraham's book, inscribed a series of geometric shapes within it, set up candles at their intersections, lit the incense, and said the words. She'd sat for 15 minutes repeating the foreign incantations when she'd felt it. For just a moment, the wind outside the tower had disappeared and the air had grown hot. Then a gust picked up and the candles had all blown out. A shiver made its way up her spine and that was it. No great wind spirit appeared before her. She didn't hear an angelic voice, but she knew that something had happened. In some small way, she'd been able to reach out and she'd been heard. Months later, at a village festival, Marley and some friends had performed a dance they'd rehearsed. At the feast afterward, a woman in a white cloak had approached Marley and complimented her on her dancing. Then, quietly, she'd said, The wind spirit heard you in that tower. Margareta introduced herself, saying she was an instructor at the Skolomance, a school of sorcery in Transylvania. If Marley consented, she would arrange to take her there, under the pretense that it was an academy for dance instruction where she'd study and then tour for several years. Now, Marley was in a carriage with her former teacher on the way back to that school. Two years, one broken leg, and one broken vow. Margareta said her punishment needn't be death, but Marley knew the alternative meant a choice she couldn't make. In the distance, Marley heard a wolf howl. A thought came to her. Was it possible that Margareta hadn't been told what had happened the night she had left the school? Did she not know what Marley had found? You don't know, do you? asked Marley. Know what? The prospect of attending an actual school for magic had been so tremendously exciting. Her whole childhood she'd read books about knights and magic and dragons. Discovering Father Abraham's books and finding out that it might be real was something, but being invited to actually get to study was beyond exhilarating. The catch. Once admitted, she had to complete her course of study, seven years, before she'd be allowed to leave. Then, one night, two years into her time at Lake Hermannstadt, she'd wound up in a place deep inside that school where she shouldn't have been, and learned things she wasn't supposed to know. Weeks later, she'd limped back home, knowing the Scolomance would be coming for her sooner or later. They rode in silence for a while. Eventually, Margareta said, Marley, maybe I can help you. Marley laughed. Help me? Out of this insanity? How? There's nothing, Maestra. There's nothing you can do. What would you even... She looked around, then back outside. If only you knew, Maestra. She used the term by which Skolaman students referred to their teachers again, this time derisively. It came from the Latin magister, master, but in context had a connection to Magus, magician. Master Margareta, who had recruited a girl from Wallachia who got in over her head, and then could do nothing but drive her to her death at her own master's hands. There's nothing to find. There's no light, she nodded her head at the black night out of the window, in this darkness. I can only hope. Marley laughed again. What's so funny? Marley shook her head, turned away, and closed her eyes. Margareta waved her hand, and the horses slowed to a stop. She opened the door and got down. There's a stream here, just down the hill. I'll take them for a drink and a rest. I assume I don't have to tie you up while I'm away? Marley said, You can take my cane if you want, but there's nowhere for me to go. Margareta was gone for several minutes. When she came back, she said, Come out and eat something. She held out her hand to help Marley climb down, but she didn't accept it. It was hard, she had found, to get out of a carriage without putting any weight in one's right leg, but Marley felt like doing it herself anyway. She lowered herself down slowly, relying on her cane, and stepped out into the woods. 
The sun was just coming up, but it was still dark among the trees. The coach had mounts for lanterns at each of its four corners. Margareta had moved one and taken it with her to lead the horses to the stream. She set it on the ground and then walked over to the rear of the coach where another hung. She made a fist with her right With determination, she punched out with her right hand, stopping at a palm's width from the lantern. There was a burst of light and a flame appeared inside. Marley recognized it as a technique the older students learned from a monk who visited the school every few years, one she thought she'd never get a chance to try herself. Margareta took a blanket from the carriage's rear compartment and spread it out on the ground by the robe. From the cabin, she produced a bottle of wine and a few other items from a storage area under one of the seats, then she sat down on the blanket outside. Inviting Marley to sit, she poured a cup and handed it over, along with a pretzel that she was serving. I don't see how you can bear being out here, said Margareta, pointing with her pretzel to the dimly lit woods around them. You love studying. You are alive at the Scolomans. I heard you, the way you talk with the other students, so passionate about your latest theory about Dr. Mirabilis's manuscript or whatever it was you were deciphering at the time. You'd give it up to do what? Make bread? Drink at an inn and listen to a Romani bard? I like baking bread. People eat bread. They come visit in the shop and share stories and do normal things. Good, regular things. And I didn't. Marley stopped, realizing how little she was interested in talking about this with Margareta, but she finished her thought. I didn't expect I'd get to go back to my life. I just didn't. She looked off to the side. Then, in a softer voice, said, I didn't know where else to go. And now it's slipping away. She wanted to cry, but held it off. Margareta got up and fetched an apple from the coach and handed it to Marley. It's Thursday, summer. Let's say, oh, the sun's up, so five in the morning. If I wanted to conjure King Fornius, what perfume would I put in the fire? Marley chuckled out of annoyance. Margareta wanted to test her, like they were student and teacher again. Then, as she thought about the question, she started to laugh and couldn't stop herself. Margareta looked at her in confusion. The answer you want is saffron, but she laughed again. But what, Marley? Margareta was asking about a spell that was supposed to let you talk to an angelic being. The particulars of the spell varied based on the season, day of the week, and what time of day you were trying to perform it. Each day of the week required a different spice to be mixed in. All of this was from a grimoire called the Heptameron by Pietro d'Abano. That first spell Marley had ever succeeded at had been derived from it. It stated that some beings could only be contacted on certain days. On a Thursday, one could potentially conjure an audience with King Formion, but Margareta had asked about King Fornius. Marquis Fornius is Ars Gecha. You're asking about the Heptameron. The planet of Thursday is Jupiter, whose demon is King Formion. Formion, not Fornius. Yes, you're right, but I don't see... Oh, it's just that one of Marquis Fornius's traits is that he teaches language, so confusing his name is... Yes, I get it now. I confuse the name of two demons, and one of them is the one responsible for helping men understand languages. Marley had gone back to staring blankly into the forest. She knew what Margareta was up to. She was trying to tempt her by reminding her how much she liked studying magic. Was the slip-up even an accident, or did she know she was using the wrong demon's name? She resolved not to take the bait anymore. Marley, that's my point. Who even taught you the clavicula Salamanus regus? You left in your second year. You shouldn't have gotten much further than protection circles, but you're not just quoting from it, you're comparing it with other grimoires. You knew, off the top of your head, you knew the attributes of one of 70 demons in that book. 72 slipped out of Marley's mouth before she could stop herself. 72 demons, yes. She stood up and paced around for a minute, then faced her former student directly and said, You were a born Salamonary, Marley. Students of the Scolomans were styled after King Solomon, whose study of magic was the foundation for all Western mystical scholarship. They traditionally wore white cl- The compliment hurt Marley more than she wanted to communicate. She knew Margareta was right. She'd never felt more alive than when she had been a Solomonary. Sitting up all night, comparing the study of angels from two different books by candlelight. But she also knew what the headmaster would ask of her when they arrived, and she knew she'd rather accept death than agree to him. 
They got back on the road. Margareta told the horses the way, and they drove themselves along at a steady pace. She lay down on the cushion seat to get some sleep. Marley did the same. She dreamt she was alone in the forest. Margareta and the carriage were gone, and she was walking down a path. Her leg was fine. She didn't have her cane. All around her, insects chirped. The sound got louder and louder. She covered her ears. A black and white bird flew over and settled in a tree in the path ahead. It cocked its head and stared at her. She and the bird both saw movement in the trees. A caterpillar had crawled onto a leaf on a branch hanging down over the path. It was spitting itself into a chrysalis. In time, the chrysalis broke open and a butterfly emerged. It was white with beautiful reddish-purple markings. It fluttered over to a bush and immediately flowers began to bloom. The sounds of the insects didn't bother Marley anymore. They now blended in with the calls of birds and the rustling of the leaves and the trees as if everything in the forest was singing the same song. Marley smiled. She followed the butterfly around happily for what seemed like hours. It seemed so free, going wherever it pleased. Then Marley realized the woods had grown silent. She looked up at the black and white bird. It cocked its head and looked past Marley to something behind her, then shrieked and flew away. Marley spun around and got the feeling that something had been there, but she could only see a shadow running away into the trees. At first she thought it belonged to a man, but it had too many legs. Something was wrong with the butterfly. Something had happened to it when Marley hadn't been looking. It landed on a sapling, which began to wither. A shaft of light caught a single strand of spider silk that was coming from the trees above. It had attached itself to the butterfly's wing. The once free and beautiful creature started to twitch, and at the point where the string touched it, a new cocoon started to form. It struggled and pushed its wings against it, but it wasn't able to escape. Marley's right leg gave out, and she fell down in pain. She looked around for her cane, but remembered that she hadn't had it with her. The butterfly was breaking out again, but it had changed. It was brown and yellow now, and had a peculiar white marking on its back that Marley was scared to look at. It flew on, but had lost its free, happy, aimless spirit. It moved in straight, direct lines, and everywhere it landed it made an awful chirping sound, and the forest decayed. Marley could see that the spider silk was still attached to it, as if it weren't flying around by itself, but was being pulled by a string from high above. The carriage came to Ternu Roshu Pass at midday Friday. The Red Tower Pass was a shallow spot where the Olt River made its way between the mountains. There was a stretch of flat ground where travelers would meet and let their horses rest and exchange stories. Transylvania was a short ride to the north where the Carpathians dropped away. A tradesman was hitching his horse to a cart as they arrived. They rode on for another minute and then pulled their carriage off the road. Margareta unhitched the horses so they could drink from the river. Marley remembered the first time she'd come here. Margareta had explained that the Skolomant sat on an island in the middle of Lake Hermannstadt in the mountains not far away. They'd cross the river, then, at midnight, take a path that led to it. The path was special. You couldn't see it if you didn't know it was there, and even if you did know about it, it was only visible at midnight. People could ride by it every single day and never know it was there. Marley had wanted to know how this was possible, and Margarita had shrugged. In Transylvania, just a little east of here, if you bury a treasure in the ground, it can only be found again on St. George's Eve. Why only that night? Some things in the world are just the way they are. Learning about why is part of what we do. The sun was just setting as they crossed the river, turning the sky on the opposite bank a deep red. The path to the school was only an hour or two's ride away. After 30 minutes or so, the carriage shuddered to an abrupt halt. She heard Margareta jump down and tear open the door. Get out, now. What? Something has found us. Marley picked up her cane and stood up. Margareta reached inside, grabbed her hand, and pulled her forcefully outside, catching her as she fell and helping her get her feet steady on the ground. Draw a circle on the ground, right there by the road, said Margareta, indicating a place just ahead of the carriage. Use your cane, five paces across. Marley looked up and down the road, but didn't see anything. The sun had gone down. Above them, a crescent moon lit up the clouds. Now, Marley, Margareta said as she climbed into the carriage. The road here was itself not very wide, but on either side was a small clearing. 
Marley walked over, measured out the circle she'd need, and started etching it into the dirt with her cane. Five paces was a standard width for a number of spells and ceremonies. Behind her, Margareta tossed a leather pack out of the coach onto the road, then jumped down and got a similar bag from the rear. She brought them both over and set them inside the circle Marley was preparing, then went back to get a bundle of firewood from the carriage's storage. As Marley finished the circle, Margareta stacked some of the wood in its center. Take over, she said. Marley finished building the fire. Margareta again performed the hand movement that conjured fire. Flames bent and took hold over the wood. Marley looked at the fire, then back at her maestra, who was already walking back to the carriage. She went around to the front, whispered something to the horses, and waved her hand. They took a few steps forward, moving the carriage off the road. She unhitched them and tied them to a pair of trees on the other side of the road. After patting each gently, she came back to the circle. Kneeling, Margareta looked through her leather bag. Her hands were shaking. Agitated, she found what she was looking for after cursing under her breath and produced a small white cloth bag with a gold cross embroidered on its front. Is that? asked Marley. Consecrated host. Here, break it up, quickly. She gave Marley two wafers, took two for herself, and broke them up into a fine powder in her hand. Then, cupping one hand over the edge, she walked to the edge of the circle and started spreading the Eucharist on its perimeter. Marley looked down at the bread in her hands. The Holy Communion was sacred. If it were dropped, even accidentally during Mass, one was supposed to pick it up immediately and eat it. To intentionally spread it on the ground. Marley, please, there's no time. Just like this, start on the opposite side and keep going until you get back here, she said, pointing to a stick on the ground by the circle. Fast as you can, but take care not to leave any gaps. Marley did as instructed. She worked slowly. Kakat, it's coming soon. What is, Maestra? asked Marley. What's coming that we need a sacred circle? Margareta didn't answer. She just continued her work spreading the bits away for her. To herself, she said, it must have been waiting for us to cross the river. Working as quickly as they could, they made their way around the circle. Marley had about a quarter left to complete when she heard the horses start to scream. She turned and looked at them. Immediately, Margareta said, no, you can't stop. Finish the circle. Marley looked up anyway and saw a figure walking toward them on the road. She looked back down at her work and mashed a portion of the bread into the circle. Marley could see now that it was a woman that was approaching them. Her hair and dress were dark, which served to highlight her white skin. Marley worked as quickly as she could, placing the host into the circle, but found herself unable to look away from the approaching woman. She had red, full lips. She passed the carriage. The horses pushed against their lines, dressing them, trying to get away. The woman licked her lips, and was now close enough that Marley could see a set of shining white teeth. Just a little bit more, and the circle would be complete. The fair woman's dark eyes shone in the firelight. Marley had just a few more palms' widths to complete. She spread a small amount on the ground, then raised her head again to look at the creature that was approaching them. One of the horses broke free of its tether and galloped away. The other let out a terrified whinny. The woman stretched out a hand tipped with long, sharp nails. Margareta was saying something, yelling, but Marley couldn't hear her. She had been looking into the woman's dark eyes and found that she had forgotten what else she had been doing. Her hand dropped to her side and something fell out of it. She stood up and placed one foot outside the circle. A sharp pain in her right leg. Margareta had leapt across the circle and kicked her cane out of her hand. Marley felt her senses return and she started to fall, but a strong hand grabbed hold of her. She felt herself being dragged forward. The woman had her. Then a loud hissing sound, and she was released. She fell forward, but Margareta caught the back of her dress and yanked her back into the circle. Marley fell, landed next to the fire, and quickly scrambled away from it. She looked up and saw Margareta holding something in front of her. Marley, Marley, I need you to finish the circle now. Marley looked up at her former teacher, her wits coming back to her. After a few seconds, she was able to identify the object in Margareta's left hand as a crucifix. Her right hand was closed tight. Marley, are you with me? I can't look away from it right now. Yes, I'm here. Take the host from my hand. Finish the circle. Marley crawled to her and pried open her fist, taking the remaining powder. She poured it into the circle until she was sure it was complete, seeing the stick where Margareta had put the first pieces of the host. It's done, she said. Done? Yes, yes, I'm sure. 
Good, we should be safe now. The woman, the vampire, hissed at them again, baring her sharp teeth. She stepped toward them, but when she got close to the circle, she screamed and moved back. In her hand were a few strands of Marley's golden hair. The terrifying woman stalked around the circle for what felt like an hour before she disappeared. Marley and Margareta sat with their backs to the fire and each other, watching her in silence. She'd work her way around them, slowly watching them. Sometimes she'd bare her teeth, but usually she'd just stare. On the other side of the road, the remaining horse made a frightful noise. It strained against the rope, but couldn't break free. Eventually, it moved itself as far from the woman as it could. Whenever her orbit around the fire brought her close to it, it would kick and scream. A wolf howled somewhere in the forest. Marley turned in the direction of the sound, and when she looked back, the woman wasn't there anymore. Is she gone? she asked. Margareta stood and walked to the edge of the circle. Not for long, I'm sure. Maybe she's hoping we'll try to escape and she can catch us. The immediate fear was wearing off. Marley tried to think of what she knew about vampires. All of the normal folklore, of course. Father Abraham's library had quite a number of books that mentioned them. We're safe here, right? She can't get into the sacred circle? Correct, said Margareta. Can we leave when the sun rises? Yes. She'll lose her power if she remains. More likely, she'll retreat to a bed of earth before then. If we were close to the river, we might run for it. She wouldn't be able to cross the water. Or if there were a house nearby where we were welcome. Better to stay here. We should try to stay awake. If she calls us in our sleep, we might get up and cross the line. Marley took one of the logs from their bundle and added it to the fire. She sat, watching the flames find the wood and start to consume it. Cinders rose into the sky and danced on the gentle breeze. Here, said Margareta, holding out a piece of bread she'd taken from her sack. Marley took it, and they sat together, watching the fire. The horse, now calmer, nickered. Marley reached into the bag of provisions Margareta had taken from the carriage and found an apple. She stood and tossed it across the road. It rolled to a stop by the tree where the horse that had escaped had been tied. Its companion walked over, nudged it with its nose, and took a bite. An hour passed with no sign of the woman. Then they heard her calling to them, but they couldn't see where she was. It mocked them for hiding inside their little circle and challenged them to come outside. Marley covered her ears, but she could still hear it nonetheless. This went on throughout the night. They didn't see the woman, but heard her whispering to them. Margareta snapped at one point and stood up and screamed for her to show herself, but the response was just a horrible cackle. Fortunately, thought Marley, it was near midsummer. The sun would rise early. By her guess, they had less than an hour left. The wolf she'd heard earlier howled again, this time much closer. The horse sprung to attention. Another wolf answered. Marley heard movement from the forest behind them. She turned away from the horse and looked into the trees. She walked around to the other side of the fire so she could see. She heard the crunch of paws on the underbrush. A vampire might not be able to cross their circle, but a wolf could. She saw its eyes first, the light of the fire reflecting in them. Then, to its right, a set of teeth. Then another. Three wolves. They moved confidently as they stepped out of the forest. Marley looked around for a stick to make a torch with, hoping she could scare them off as she held it in front of them. But there was nothing to use. The wolves moved toward the circle, their eyes on the two humans standing inside. With the same determination the vampire woman had, they moved slowly, stalking around the circle. Margareta was now standing at Marley's side. They turned together to watch the wolves' movement. Can you, said Marley. Not wolves, said Margareta. Marley recalled a lesson about animal control. Some animals were easier to connect with. Some could even be used as familiars. Others, the meaner things, rats and bats and wolves and such, were harder. The three beasts had traversed half the circle circumference when they turned together, suddenly, as if they shared one mind. In an instant, they bounded away at full speed toward the horse that was tied to the tree, crossing the distance in seconds. It let out a yelp and made one last attempt to break free of its tether before the wolves attacked. Marley had an instinct to run toward it and help in some way. She knew better, and the cane in her hand reminded her that even running across a small road was beyond her ability. She raised her hand and tried to reach out to the horse with her mind, not knowing what she might even instruct it to do, 
but she and it were too frightened. So she stood and watched. The sounds were horrible. Even after the horse made its last cry, there was the sound of the wolves' jaws chewing at their meal. Then another sound, hooves moving fast. She and Margareta turned and looked down the road toward the river. A pair of riders appeared in the darkness. The wolves got up from their feast, blood in their mouths, snarled, and vanished into the forest. The riders got closer, and Marley saw that she knew them. It was Friedrich and Wilhelm, Count Dracula's men. The Order of the Dragon was here. Wilhelm, riding in front, was just up to the carriage when the woman appeared. The sight was peculiar. One moment, Marley saw the Transylvanian guard and his horse galloping to her, his partner several lengths behind him. The next, the vampire woman was running at him at full speed from the side, just a few paces away. Yet she hadn't come from anywhere. She hadn't run out of the trees and into the clearing by the road. She'd simply appeared, already in motion. The woman let out a hideous shriek and leapt into the air at Wilhelm, attaining the horse's full height, so that she struck him sideways, knocking him down to the ground. The horse reared and turned back to its master, who was now grappling with the woman on the road. Friedrich closed the distance, drew his sword, and jumped down. Standing above them, he reached into a pouch in his belt and produced something that he held in his left hand. The woman had the advantage over Wilhelm and was on top of him. She swung her leg over his body so that she straddled him and swiped at his face with her talon-like fingernails. Friedrich advanced and held out the object in his hand, which Marley guessed must be a cross. The woman turned to look up at him. She hissed and lifted into the air, contorting her body in an unnatural way with her hand stretched toward him. She remained in this vile, twisted position, hanging disturbingly in the air, as if she jumped but then refused to fall, then spun away, hissing, The girl will be mine. Friedrich helped his partner up. Wilhelm brushed himself off, and the pair turned toward Marley and Margareta. As they stepped toward the circle, Marley could see blood covering Wilhelm's face from the woman's claws. Friedrich took the reins of their two horses, and Wilhelm approached the fire. Fräulein Marley, he said, bowing. The Count sent us after you. Please, I will take you back to your village. Wilhelm extended his hand. Marley had been so relieved to see them, she'd forgotten her predicament. She realized now that nothing had changed. The Skola man still wanted her back. If she went back to the village, that would still be true. As if he had anticipated her hesitation, Wilhelm said, The Count is aware of your situation with this woman's organization. He nodded toward Margareta without looking at her. We were instructed to tell you that he would make an alternative arrangement with the Tedmaster. Marley, you must not, began Margareta. But Wilhelm took four forceful steps toward her, putting himself between her and Marley. His hand was on the pommel of his sword. Margareta retreated to the edge of the circle. It was the opportunity the vampire woman had been waiting for. As before, she appeared as if from nowhere, now on the far side of the sacred circle. Margareta had broken its perimeter. The woman's white face shone in the firelight as she pounced. She grabbed Margareta from behind and pulled her backward, both women facing Marley and the two guards. Maestra! shouted Marley. Wilhelm and Friedrich pushed forward, putting themselves between her and the vampire. The vampire woman wrapped an arm around Margareta and raked a fingernail across her cheek. Their two white faces shone in the firelight. Margareta said, Marley, you have to know, the Count... In a flash, the vampire woman's teeth were on her neck. There was a spurt of bright red blood. She held her, paralyzed, for perhaps ten seconds, all the while staring directly at Marley. Then, without breaking eye contact, she removed her mouth from the neck, reached a hand up, and took a firm grasp on the top of Margareta's head. She made a fast movement down and, with a loud snap, broke her neck. Margareta's form went limp, but the vampire woman held it there. The cold eyes stared at Marley. She let go when her victim crumpled to the ground but she kept those piercing eyes fixed, staring. Then she licked her lips and walked backward into the night. Marley stood watching until the pair of eyes disappeared. When the woman had gone, Wilhelm had Marley sit down by the fire and gave her Friedrich's silver cross to hold. Working quickly, the guards retrieved a bulb of garlic from one of their saddlebags, which they stuffed into Margareta's mouth. After a brief discussion, they decided to take the carriage back with them. They hitched their horses to it, 
wrapped Margareta's body in a blanket and tied it to the roof, and, once the sun was safely up, rode across the river. Two nights later, Marley, Friedrich, and Wilhelm arrived back at Castello Argish. Thank you for listening. When I was coming up with the idea of writing Wallachia and also developing an app with which to publish it, I had the idea of accompanying each chapter with a reader poll. This chapter is a direct result of the reader's votes. In chapter 5, I asked whether Margareta would listen to the Count and leave Marley to him, or if she would try to take Marley anyway. I always had the image in my head of the characters hiding in a circle with a vampire stalking them all night, but I moved it up in the story based on chapter 5's votes. A few other notes, the Scolomance comes from Romanian folklore. Emily Gerard mentions it in Transylvanian Superstitions, which Bram Stoker noted having read in his research for Dracula. It's mentioned twice in the novel. Abraham Van Helsing uses the Eucharist several times as a barrier against vampires in Dracula. Stoker even gives him a line explaining that he has an indulgence, meaning advanced forgiveness from the church. The stuff about magic all comes from Middle Age and Renaissance mysticism. The Heptameron and other books are all real. Dr. Mirabellus's manuscript refers to an actual mysterious book written in a language no one can decipher. It's known as the Voynich Manuscript after Wilfred Voynich, who purchased the book in 1912, but since we're nearly 100 years before that, I needed another name. There's some speculation it was written by a 13th century philosopher and monk Roger Bacon, aka Dr. Mirabellus, so there we are. Whether the Scolomans had a copy or if it's the very same book, I'm not sure. Eugen's trial is coming up soon, and the full moon isn't far off. Next chapter out in two weeks, Marley makes it back home after her ordeal. <laughs>